All right, it's time for another episode of Mavericks and Misfits. I'm grateful that you're listening today. Grateful that any time that you listen and uh, really just want to say thank you, Lord, for um, just blessing this this podcast and giving us a chance to to talk to people, to help people. We love hearing from you guys that um, bring your questions or your comments and suggestions for podcast topics. And uh, it's just a great thing to live in a world where technology can advance kingdom truth and cause us to think deeply about who we are as followers of Jesus Christ and to um, reframe the modern day representation of the church to bring it out of a cultural uh, representation of the gospel and of, of Jesus himself and to give us all an opportunity in our generation uh, before Christ comes back to earth to to return uh, the representation of Christ through the church to return it back to its um, original intent and to you know strip away some of the stuff that has attached itself to the representation of the church in the last you know 2,000 years. And again, um, nobody should have an exalted opinion of themselves that they are the single reformer that's going to you know magically bring in pristine representation of Christianity. I don't think there's any one individual that can do that humanly. I do believe Jesus Christ will do that and he will eventually present be presented with a bride who is a flawless and spotless. And I long for that day. I long for it in my own life. But until then, I do believe a worthy cause for all of us as uh, followers of Jesus Christ is to constantly be considering how are we reflecting our King to each other and to a world that doesn't know him. And, um, you know, a lot of people have gone down that rabbit hole and ended up deconstructing their faith and they throw away the baby with the bathwater. And that's clearly a satanic counterfeit of what actual reformation is all about. And I, it's sad. It consistently breaks my heart when I hear people get locked onto the horns of the altar of what they can't understand about the representation of Christianity in our day. And because they can't understand everything or they're discouraged about components of it, um, they just come to the conclusion that it's all lost and it'll never be right again. And so they walk away from the church. And I, I like to remind those people that while I can empathize with their dissatisfaction of where the church is right now, um, please know that Jesus Christ himself sees all that is wrong with his people. All that is wrong with the church, all that is wrong with the bride, all that is wrong with ministry. He sees that at a level that none of us see it. And notice how he never walks away. Notice how he just remains committed to what he said he was going to do, which was to make this bride of his spotless and without blemish. And so I love the fact that the example of the Savior removes the possibility, if I'm actually following Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, if I'm actually following him, it removes even the option of me ever giving up on the church. And so for those people that have, you know, been wounded, a lot of church wounds out there, those people that have um, become discouraged about the flaws and the representation of, of Christ, uh, primarily through the local church or through the Christian dumb. Um, whereas I can identify with it, there are two ways to respond to it. You can be negative. You can take your ball and go home. It doesn't take nine spiritual gifts to protest and quit. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, you know, the, the quitters in history, um, they're never remembered for anything other than quitting. 
And so I, I just refuse to add my name to that list. When, whereas I still recognize what's wrong, or a lot of what is wrong with the church. Um, my response is, okay, let's press in because the one who conquered death can conquer the flaws in the church. The one who brings something glorious out of a grave, out of a tomb, can bring something glorious out of a church that is gasping. And so I just want to say to you that are listening, um, especially those of you that are listening to podcasts that lend themselves to the deconstruction of the faith, and you know, you just need to be aware that the enemy is using that stuff. You're you're not unique in that you you know see things that are wrong with the church and you have no answers for it. That's not original. <laughs> that's that's been going on since the beginning of the church. So don't fancy yourself some unique person with insights that nobody's ever had. Um, we we all see what's wrong with the church, and we're all called in part to cooperate and try to reform the church, try to revive the church, try to press in because the one who has the power to purify the church is loving and longing to partner with us if we'll make ourselves available. Jesus never says amen to people that quit on the church. Jesus, who took more wounding from religion than anybody who has ever lived, never says, all right, you go on home because you got wounded. You go ahead and quit and you go ahead and, and no longer be a part uh, of, of the body of Christ and the even the flawed representation of the church. I mean, good night. Read your Bible. You know, I don't mean to sound pugnacious with that, but just read your Bible. Read the book of First Corinthians. And the whole book of First Corinthians is Paul trying to help a dysfunctional church and he never, ever questions whether or not, uh, as a whole, this church has potential or in talking about the church at Corinth or whether this church can overcome or whether this church can respond to the corrections and the reformations he puts in place. I mean, he's hard on them in the book of first Corinthians, but he, he continually calls them saints and brothers. He calls them the church of the living God. He calls them redeemed. He calls them new creations in Christ even while acknowledging that they had some jacked up stuff going on among them. And so when I'm thinking um, along the lines of uh, this issue of people being wounded, um, I'm going to spend a few minutes today talking about the victim mentality. And I'm going to be very bold today because our whole culture is built on this victim mentality that um, basically revolves around identity politics, meaning, um, okay, I'm in this group. I'm in the group that is oppressed. I'm in the group that is unloved. I'm in the group who's treated unfairly. I'm in the group that can't win. I'm in the group that can't overcome. And everybody that's not in this group with me, this companionship, this camaraderie of victimhood, they are the oppressors. They are the evil ones. They are the ones that need to be denounced and canceled. And they need to pay the price. And so, you know, I mean, I'm not surprised that any of that is in the culture. I mean, good night. You know, that's what keeps politics alive. So if you can get a group of political representatives that tell a people constantly that you have the right to live a life that is worthless, a life that is um, constantly victimized, a life that has no accountability, no expectation, no responsibility. You were born into a system that you cannot get out of. You cannot overcome. You cannot change things. But lo and behold, here we are. We are your representatives and we're going to take care of you. Don't ever expect to get better, but we'll keep you safe and we'll make sure that we take care of you in your low view of living. That's identity politics. And then of course attached that is, oh, and by the way, we'll protect you from the big people. We'll protect you from the powerful people. We'll protect you from the people who, um, you know, victimized you and we'll never, ever let it happen to you again. 
And meanwhile, the irony is, is the very same people that are presumably protecting the presumed constant victims are, are actually victimizing them. They're keeping them in a mindset and a system that says, you have no hope, you cannot overcome, you'll always be the victim. And therefore, instead of trying, just let us meet you where you are and we will take care of you from the top down. It's just a joke. But I don't, I'm not surprised by it in politics and American government, but I'm, I'm probably more alarmed than anything that the church is starting to adopt that mindset. And so there are people in the church that are totally convinced <clears throat> that they are perpetual victims and that they really don't have to be what Christ says that they are. And I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about people who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, and yet they operate in an anti-gospel mindset every day of their life. They're bitter. They're angry. They're pointing the fingers. They, 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 all they want to do is rail against the powers that be. Uh, they protest. They point out. They demonstrate. I mean, there are Christians that put the demon in demonstration. You can't have demonstration without the word demon starting it off. And there are Christians that literally their whole lives are, oh man, we got to protest the powers that be because they are the powerful and we are the weak. And so I make no apologies for it. And I'm not saying this, what I'm describing fits every single person. I mean, there are indeed clearly innocent victims that exist in the world today. I mean, none of us are, are completely free from at least knowing somebody who was an innocent person who was victimized by a predator of some sort. We all know that many of you that are listening have a, a chapter in your life where somebody did you wrong. I've got chapters in my life where people did me wrong. And, and in the sense of in that, in that context, I was an innocent victim of it. So there's a difference between acknowledging that you were a victim in an instance versus adopting a victim mentality where everybody's against you. There is no hope. Everybody is is harmful and dangerous, and you will never be able to be who you are supposed to be because of what's been done to you. And I just want to come right at that with a hammer of the gospel and say that's a demonic way of thinking. And if you believe that or feel that about yourself, you need to get delivered from that because it's a, become a stronghold in your life. You are not a victim of anything that Christ cannot bring resurrection to. You are not a prisoner of anything that Christ can't bring liberty to. There is nothing that has been done to you by somebody else that is greater than what's been done for you by Jesus Christ. And so when my Savior comes up out of the grave and shows himself alive, when he took Satan's greatest weapon, which was death, and Jesus disarmed principalities and powers, demonic powers. He disarmed them. He took their greatest weapon and he beat it. And by that example, Jesus gives us a principle in the kingdom that he can triumph over anything. And if he lives in me, that means that I can do all things through Christ, through him who gives me strength. And so I literally approach the Christian life with an idea that, that is like just anchored in my soul. And what is that idea? Well, it's the truth that there is nothing at all that can come against me in life that I can't find a victory within the midst of it. Nothing. And whether it be physical, whether it be relational, whether it be spiritual, whether it be mental, whether it be financial, whatever it may be, there's nothing that is greater than the triumphant, victorious element of Christ's life in me. Therefore, don't send me flowers. I am not a victim to anybody. 
It doesn't mean that I haven't been done wrong. It just means that I look at what has been done to me as external. I look at what has been done for me as internal. I look at the, what has been done to me as temporary. I look at what has been done for me as permanent and eternal. And so you've got to make up your mind. Who are you? Are you a victor or are you a victim? And you are living right now somewhere leaning more one to the other. And if you are in a, a place where you think what has been done to you is so unjust, and listen, I am not making light of things like abuse, like abandonment, like um, fraud, uh, like slander. I'm not making light of those things. I'm just saying that as we acknowledge those things, you have to put them in their proper place, and they are beneath the triumphant resurrection promises and power that you have at your, they're part of your arsenal as a follower of Jesus Christ who is indwelt by the victorious resurrected king. Let me give you a quote. This man is, um, is a Hungarian man. He was born in Budapest, and his name is Akos Balog. And he wrote an article uh, on the Gospel Coalition's website. And the article uh, I thought was brilliant. I thought it was great. And this is an excerpt from it. And he says this, if you have a victim mentality, you will see your entire life through a perspective of things that constantly happen to you. Victimization is thus a combination of seeing most things in life as negative, beyond your control, and as something you should be given sympathy for experiencing as you deserve better. At its heart, a victim mentality is actually a way to avoid taking any responsibility for yourself or your life. By believing you have no power, then you don't have to take action. Man, I love the way he put that. He's simply, uh, he's kind of distilling down um, the effect of, of living with a victim mentality. And listen, scores of people in the church are living this way. Oh, well, I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm saved. But I tell you what, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not accountable for the things that the Bible says because of the things that have been done wrong. As a matter of fact, the things that have harmed me now give me an exemption from living in victory. I, I should not be expected to be victorious. I should not be expected to be disciplined. I should not be expected to be proactive in faith. I should not be expected to be forgiving. I should not be expected to give compassion to others because I'm the one who needs the most compassion because I've been done wrong more than anybody. I've had bad dad things happen to me. Therefore, don't expect anything of me. Now, you may think I'm exaggerating that. I don't think I am at all. I think if you strip away all of the stuff we wrap a victim mentality in, if you strip all that stuff away, that's exactly what you've got at the core. You've got a person that says, because I've been done wrong, because I've been the victim of someone or something, because this has happened to me, don't expect me to live a victorious, triumphant, overcoming, accountable Christian life. And listen, what's sad is that under the banner of presumed compassion, the church is now empowering the victim mentality. We're actually becoming so like fragile that we don't want anybody to say, well, hey, look, Jeff, the stuff that you're saying today, man, that's kind of harsh. You need to be more sensitive. We're so sensitive that we become negligent. Like we, we are, we are operating under a false representation of compassion and sensitivity to the extent that we are welcoming and even empowering people to live beneath the truth that they have resurrection overcoming more than conquer victorious power in them through Christ. 
And we're literally saying, oh, no, 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 we, we don't need to expect much of you. Because after all, look at your history. Look at what's been done. And I, w- I want to just throw this out there. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody's been done wrong. Sure, some have been savaged and ravaged more than others. I get that. But nobody has been savaged and ravaged more than the Son of God who lives in them and gives them his life. And so the, the ultimate goal of the Christ life is not sympathy. It's not. It's there. It's part of it. But the ultimate goal of being a Christian is not for people to feel sorry for us. The ultimate goal of being a Christian is to stand on top of what threatens to topple you. Like literally, the, the end game for being a Christian is victory. Not victimhood. Victimhood is for the pagans. Victimhood is for those that don't, like literally non-believers don't have any power to overcome the horrible things that happen to people. But we are not non-believers. We have Jesus. And if there was any human example, Jesus is the son of man about what it looks like to be victimized and then to press forward into all that the father had for him. Look at his life. Look at what was done to Jesus. And he was abandoned, betrayed, abused, rejected, slandered, lied about, tortured, humiliated, nailed to a cross as the only innocent man who has ever lived with charges of blasphemy and sedition against him. The the very kangaroo court process that got him on the cross was, was fueled by religious powerhouses and liars. And one of his own 12 companions betrayed him for a a paltry sum of money. And Jesus took it all into his body, kept his heart fixed on the Father. And then three days after he gave up the ghost on the cross, he emerged from the tomb and said, Now let's crush the serpent's head. Oh yeah, Jesus got his heel bruised. But he said, now let's crush the serpent's head and let me empower multiple millions of people for the next however many centuries to overcome everything the enemy throws at them. That's a far cry from a bunch of people sitting around pouting and going navel gazing, looking back at every terrible thing that happened to them when they were kids. My goodness, I'm, I'm t- I know you, you're sensing my passion on this. It's because I am tired, I am weary, and I believe I am righteously burning on this issue that the solution and the, the key to your victory is not trying to go back and heal the little child that in your life, that your, your childhood, that was hurt and wounded and ruined. That person, that child, and all of that history died with you when you came to Jesus Christ and you were raised a new creature, a brand new creation, born again, born anew, born on high. And we want to sit here and go back into every nook and cranny of every terrible thing that was done to us, every wrongdoing, and we got to heal the inner child and we got to go back and rescue that younger us or 
you know, wherever the age spectrum was when your wound came. The, the key that I'm making here is that, man, your victory is not about you going back and making sense of everything that happened to you. If that, if you can make sense of it, that's fine, but let it be as you are moving into the life that you now have. And I'm going to tell you, nothing that happened to me in my childhood prevents me from fully embracing all that Jesus Christ has done for me. You know, I mean, I've, I've done more therapy probably than anybody, and I've been helped by it. I'll just be honest with you. I've been helped by it. I, I, I'll go see a counselor every once, every six, eight weeks now just to process with somebody that doesn't know me as a pastor or leader, but just knows me as a Christian. I have no problems with counseling. But you will never see me sign up for anything that traces, that's going to spend months and months of me tracing down all my inner wounds from childhood. That is a complete waste of my time. Either the Holy Spirit is making me new or he isn't. And is there any legitimacy in understanding what may have happened to me as a child? Yeah, I think there is some legitimacy into it, but you got to keep it in the context because what I have found is that most of the ministries that want to take you back deep into your childhood, they just want to take you back on this never-ending, like however long it takes, however deep we need to go, however much healing you might need, whatever you need to feel, and however we need to get you out of there. And it's a never-ending process when I just believe, I'm just one of these guys that believes in the combustible power of a Holy Ghost encounter that'll set you free where you can look back and you can acknowledge all that stuff that happened to you, but you are absolutely not defined by any of it anymore. And sadly, that's an unpopular view in the church because it comes off as unsympathetic and dispassionate. And what I'm saying is, no, I actually think it comes off as honoring to Jesus Christ and empowering to the people that will receive it. That understanding why you are here right now and who you are is not about figuring out all the broken shards of your past. It's about pressing into the comprehensive sozo salvation, the wholeness, the soundness that you have in Jesus Christ. Like You actually have it. He either gave it to you or he didn't. He either saved you from your past and out of your past. He either made you a conqueror. He either made you a victor. He either raised you up from the rubble and the brokenness of your past, or he didn't. Like, you can believe that. I believe that. I don't understand all the why of stuff that happens to us in our life. I don't have to understand it. I believe that the greater truth is that I have overcome it in Christ. And man, the clock is ticking and I don't want to waste any more time proving to myself what a victim I am because of the pain of my childhood or the pain of my adolescence or the pain I've experienced in church or the pain of, of, of family issues. I, I don't think that that's what the Lord is telling us to do. I don't find anything in the Bible about that. Like show me in the Bible, the word of God, show me where we are called to go and explore in minute detail and ever-increasing depth what happened to us in our past so that we can be whole in the present. Show me it. Because it's not there, but you'd think based on ministry today that that is like a massive component of what the counsel of God says in the Word. And it's just not there. And frankly, while giving some credence and some legitimacy to the fact that, yes, counselors do help us, but this, this pathway to deep, never-ending inner healing is an excuse for not living in victory. As long as you think that there's more to settle in your past and more to be healed from in your past and more to explore in your past, then you're going to be tempted to be the perpetual victim that the world encourages you to be and the church allows us to be. 
I'm just seeing, saying today, heavens no, I'm not going to do that. There's no way I'm going to do that. So let me give you a couple of things, and I'm going to wind this thing up today. I'm, I had a whole lot more heat than light on this because I really had some precise things that I want to say. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping to charge some of you right now. Like, snap out of it, brother. Snap out of it, sister. You can spend the rest of your life feeling sorry for yourself. And in the name of Jesus, that's not the will of God for you. And I'm not being unsympathetic, but there's a hundred voices telling you why you've got a reason to sit in a puddle of tears for the rest of your life, curled up in a fetal position, talking about how bad life's been. You got a hundred voices telling you, 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 you should do that because it honors the Lord. I'm one voice, maybe among others, but I'm telling you, you don't, that is not the will of God for your life. That is not your inheritance. That's not what you're supposed to do. Snap out of it. Get out of it. Believe that the Holy Ghost will set you free from it and that you're not supposed to live as one who is indwelt by God. Imagine the audacity of us as people that are indwelt by God, thinking that we are prisoners to what's been done to us. I just picture Jesus saying, but what about what's been done for you? What about what I did for you? What about, I, what, about what I've given to you? Is that not greater than what somebody or something or some people group did against you? I mean, these are legitimate questions. And when you answer them, live according to your answer. If your answer is yes, what has been done to me by people is greater than what has been done for me by Jesus, well, then go ahead and be a victim the rest of your life. Go ahead. Because you're, you've given yourself permission to say that there are forces against you that are greater than the force and the power and the love and the grace of God that is, that is for you. You literally have taught yourself or somebody has given you permission to believe that what has happened to you has more power than what has happened for you. And you'll live accordingly. But if on the other hand, you'll make up your mind that nothing that has happened to you is greater than what is Jesus has done for you, then you will shift. You'll pivot. You'll turn. You'll start thinking differently about how you live your day. You'll quit waiting for people to feel sympathetic for you. You'll, you'll get off of that. You'll quit mainlining sympathy. Get that needle out of your vein. Quit injecting your little shots of sympathy that make you feel like you know, you're, um, you, you know, you're seen and you're validated and everybody understands you. My goodness, do you know how addicting that is? Self-pity is an addicting drug. And there are so many things that are in existence today that are in operation among Christians that give you permission to live that way. And that's not God's will for your life. Like God does have compassion and mercy. He's not unsympathetic to the things that have happened to us. But when you start getting into the territory where you are believing on some level or feeling on some level that all the junk that's happened to you is now giving you the right to live outside of what Jesus has done for you. In other words, you say amen to being saved by grace. You say amen to the concept of triumph. You say amen to the prospect of heaven. You say amen to Christ dwelling in you. You say amen to all those theological truths, but you live as if they're not. You, you live as if they're not true. You say, Jeff, why are you saying that? Because perpetual victim mentality betrays the fact that people don't believe the power of the gospel. You can't have it both ways. And so I'm exhorting you strongly today to refuse to let that into your life. I mean, if you're living with a victim mentality, this is the results include this. Like you, you're never owning up personally to what lacks in your own life. There's always somebody or something to blame. You're not responsible for your own life. You're not responsible for victory. You're not responsible for breakthrough.
You're not responsible for progress. You're not responsible for any of that because something bad happened to you. That's the bottom line of a victim mentality. It's always somebody else's fault why I'm not prospering, why I'm not doing good. And you'll end up viewing people and circumstances through the lens of who they are to you. Like when you're a perpetual constant victim and you live with that mentality, you, you view all people of who they are to you, whether they might be there to help you or to harm you. But you don't see them for who they are in Christ or who they are to God or who God has made them to be. You view all the people that you're close to and any people that might be coming into your life, you view them through the lens of what are they going to do to me? Are they going to help me? Or are they going to harm me? And so you can't see them as the Imago Dei, the image of God. It's not about who they are to you. It's about who you will be to them. But as a victim mentality person, people like that, they don't ever think that way. They don't think, how can I bless this person? How can I help this person? How can I serve this person? How can I, how can I come alongside of this person? Victim mentality people don't have servant's heart. They believe that they're there to be served. They're, it's all about them when they get into that depth of victim mentality. And so they fail to see people for the glory of God. They see people as either an asset or an adversary. And it minimizes the value of the people in their life. Why? Because you're so afraid that somebody's going to hurt you, harm you, not love you, not validate you, not talk to you in the way that you want to be talked to. You're not going to make you feel super special. And it just reinforces what you've already taught yourself to believe. See, there they go again. That person doesn't value me. I'm the victim. Oh, man, I'm just feeling the burn on this one today, man. You know, the victim mentality mindset leaves you perpetually distracted by the need to self-preserve or self-defend or self-promote because you can't live with a victim mentality without it literally all revolving around you. It, the victim mentality results in an entirely self-absorbed life because the victim always has to protect herself, always have to protect himself, can't allow any threat or any harm. And so they're constantly thinking of self what has happened to me? What might happen to me? Why did this person look at me this way? How come they're probably talking about me? Why didn't anybody call me? And it, it lives in this like corner of the dark room saying, somebody come to help me, but please don't come to, to harm me. And I, I just don't know what the difference is between a helper and a harmer. Therefore, I have the right to hide in my life. And they get stuck in some perpetual sense of unforgiveness. That's true. Listen, if you're, you're in a victim mentality, you are stuck in some degree of unforgiveness because a victim mentality reveals that there, there's a person or a group of people whom you've not fully forgiven because you're obviously not free from what has been done to you by them. Like when I forgive somebody, they're free. They're free. And guess what? I'm free. But if I believe that I am their victim, in other words, what they have done or might do to me is greater than what Christ has done for me, then I hold back on fully freeing them through my forgiveness. Because you, you won't forgive people you're afraid of. And if you're afraid of an entire people group, you'll see what you fear in that people group. That's the problem with racism. Racism is so unreasonable because it says that the people of that racial class that racial category, they're all the same. And because I had a negative experience with a person in that racial category, therefore those people, those 
black people, those white people, those Hispanics or Asians, those people are all like the one representative of that group that hurt me. It's unreasonable. It's absolutely, there, there are terrible people in every racial group. And there are wonderful people in every racial group. And so refusing to forgive a group of race, race, a racial group is unreasonable. You're not a perpetual, unretrievable victim of a racial group. We have a terrible history with racial oppression in America. But I'm going to tell you, there's not an individual today in any racial category that cannot overcome all of that oppression. Why? Because Jesus doesn't bow to oppression. Jesus doesn't claim victimhood via oppression. Jesus takes oppression and puts it beneath his feet by believing He believed the father. Look, at the end of the day, Jesus overcame the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees and the crowd that cried crucify him. Jesus overcame Judas. Jesus overcame all of the disciples that fled and betrayed him. Jesus overcame those that lied and slandered and mocked him and beat him. He overcame the Roman government. He overcame his torturers. He overcame the, 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 you know, the people that scorned him while he was on the cross. He overcame it all. He absolutely overcame it. So at the end of the day, he looked at all of that oppression. And he said, none of it's bigger than what God will do through me as his son. And that's the same king that lives inside of you. So I don't, I don't, I don't sign off on racial oppression. I want to fight against injustice. I believe there are systems and things that are happening in the United States of America that definitely are not fair. They are unfavorable, but that does not allow me to say to a minority in the church and say to that person, yeah, you don't stand a chance, bro. You're not going to make it because you're black. You're not going to make it because you're an immigrant or you're Latino. And by the way, hey, you know, sorry, you know, all the white people, we got it made. That's that's why we are winning. It's because we're white. Do you understand the audacious? That is just so insulting to the son of God that anybody is anybody in Christ is a prisoner of the the system and the oppression in the United States of America, and anybody that is white is free from any difficulty, and we win because we're white. I'm so sick of that nonsense. If that offends you, you just have to deal with it. I'm so sick of that, man. I'm not. Listen, I am not overcoming and living a victorious life because I'm white. I, I don't even think about it, and I understand all the protests, and I love having dialogue with my African American brothers and sisters. I've done it over and over and over again. I get it. I get it to the degree I can get it, but nothing that any person in a minority racial class has ever said to me led me to the conclusion that, yeah, there's, there's just no hope for you. You're never going to make it as an individual. You're just, you're, you're doomed because of the system of America. I could not imagine being in the presence of Jesus and, and then saying, Jesus, hold on for a second. while I tell this disciple of yours that they'll never overcome because of their skin color. Some of y'all may need to just process that, but I stand by what I said. Um, When you're stuck in this perpetual unforgiveness, you just permit yourself to live at a level beneath the dignity of what God has afforded you through the gospel. And um, if you're living with a victim mentality, you prove that you don't deeply believe in the power of the gospel. I didn't say you didn't believe the doctrine of the gospel. I said the power of it. Because your identity will be more rooted in what has been done to you by people instead of what has been done for you by Jesus Christ. So it's time for us to reshape our thinking. I, my, my time's gone today, but it's, it's, it's really time for all of us, white, black, 
Asian, Latino, um, younger, older, male, female. Away with the excuses. Quit allowing what happened to you. Quit allowing that to be bigger than what's happened for you. No, I mean it. Stop that. Repent. Metanoia. Change the way you think. And start living with the reality that Jesus Christ has given you victory. Victory. You win. You're a winner. And I don't care what has happened to any of us. I've had some terrible things happen to me in life. Terrible. As a non-believer and as a believer. Terrible things. And none of that define me, defines me because when I get in the presence of the throne and I behold the Lamb of God standing though he had been slain, when I behold him, it robs me of every self-pity and every ounce of excuse as to why I cannot live an overcoming, triumphant, victorious, pressing in, conquer the hill, win the battle, overcome and slay the giant kind of life. So I don't want anybody feeling sorry for me and I don't want you to feel sorry for you. I want you to step up and say, Holy Ghost, fill me anew because the battle has been won. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us to reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget that you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.